This is a Vault Studios production. I'm Reed Redmond. I'm Will Johnson. The show contains graphic material and is meant for mature audiences. This week on True Crime Chronicles. This is the door that she had come out of and she had walked up the sidewalk and they had caught her on surveillance walking off of the sidewalk and that was the last time that she was seen. Most of the time, you know, they'll, we can usually find them by the time this shift, you know, is over. Uh, this was a little bit different. We know who she is and we know that she's deceased, but we don't know when she died or how she died. It could have been something as innocent as somebody driving down the road, her hitchhiking, they give her a ride to, the, to that exit. It could be something that simple. And it could be, you know, somebody could have taken her there. This week on True Crime Chronicles, we're sharing the first episode of Beyond Bardstown Unsolved, the third season of Vault Studios Bardstown podcast. The rest of the Vault Studios team and I have been working on this new season for months. It'll be hosted by two reporters you've heard multiple times on this podcast, Shay McAllister at WHAS 11 in Louisville and Madison Wade at King 5 in Seattle. The first two episodes are available now, so when you're done listening to the first episode here, search for Beyond Bardstown Unsolved to go and listen to the second. On uh, April the 11th, 2017, approximately a little bit after midnight, our third shift officers received a report of a uh, juvenile that had gone missing. When a missing person is reported to the police department in Litchfield, Kentucky, officers are often able to locate that person by the end of their shift. It's not a big city, and there aren't that many places to go. You know, a small town like this, you know, they'll beat the streets, they'll try to locate friends, family, anywhere that child may or may not be. I mean, it's not uncommon for a child to, you know, especially a 15, 16, 17-year-old child, to come home late. But officers say Savannah Crawford's case felt different from the start. In this case, for, for some reason, it just, I'm not going to say we took it more serious, but there was just something about this case that didn't seem right. Savannah Crawford was 16 years old in April of 2017, and the high schooler was known for wandering the streets of her small community after school. She always came home until one night... She didn't. Uh, the mother became concerned and had been out looking for the child, so then she had contacted law enforcement in order to report that she was missing. Five years later, police are still searching for answers. I will work this case until the day I can't work it anymore. And if I move on from law enforcement, whoever takes my place, I can assure you they will look at this case. This is not a case that you put in a drawer and forget about. It's not going to happen. My name is Shay McAllister. And I'm Madison Wade. We're both journalists, and for years we've been covering unsolved cases on TV, talking to investigators and families of victims, all pushing for answers. Cases we haven't forgotten and still want to see solved. This is Beyond Bardstown, Unsolved. Today, we're looking at a case that started as a missing person investigation, but took a tragic turn. 
Shay, let's start by talking about the victim. What did you learn about Savannah Crawford while covering this case? So Savannah was 16 years old when she went missing. She was petite with long hair. We actually have a lot of pictures of her, but her hair's different colors in all of them. Sometimes it's blonde and pink. Sometimes it's dark brown. Her family described her as more quiet than a typical teenager. They said she never really got in trouble. She did really well in school. She loved art. She was a talented musician in the school orchestra, and she loved to draw. She was really quiet. Um, She didn't ever get in trouble. She was a really good kid, had good grades. We talked to her cousin, Ashley. They grew up together. She wasn't much older than Savannah, but she said they weren't super close. She described Savannah as a loner. And she felt like she had nobody. That's why she would walk all the time around here. While most kids might do extracurriculars or spend time with their friends after school, Ashley said Savannah would go home after school, check in with her mom, and then spend her evening alone walking around their town, Litchfield, Kentucky. She walked all the way around town. There was like one time that I was out in town doing stuff after work. I sent her all the way up at the courthouse on the square. She had walked all the way there from here. It's because she didn't have, she felt like she didn't have nobody to talk to. What is Litchfield like? Did you get a chance to spend some time there? Yes, we did. It's about an hour and 15 minutes south of Louisville, and it's incredibly rural with a small downtown area, all family-owned businesses. There's a small police department and then a little post office. There is also a town center where all of the mom and pop shops operate around. And then there's some apartment housing right behind that. And that's where Savannah lived. It's very small, so it's not surprising that she would walk the area and people would notice her. We're not talking about a busy, bustling downtown, but more of a spot where locals go just to get the things they need. So people in town would have known Savannah pretty well. They were used to seeing her walking around by herself at night? Yes, that was her routine every day right after school. She'd put in her headphones and head out the door. Police told us that she would walk several miles at night and typically around the same area. And the last night that she was seen alive, that's exactly what she did. Her cousin Ashley actually took us to the apartment where Savannah lived. She lived there with her mom. And then Ashley showed us the path that Savannah left on. This is the door that she had come out of and she had walked up the sidewalk and they had caught her on surveillance walking off of the sidewalk and that was the last time that she was seen. Shay, have you seen that surveillance video? Yes, you can see Savannah looking down at her phone. She's wearing a beanie, t-shirt, sweatpants, and that's the last sighting in April of 2017. She had checked in with her mom, just like she did after school, and then she left the apartment they lived in together. The image we have from the surveillance video was captured right outside of the apartment. No one else reported seeing her that night. There was no other video of her from businesses or homes around the town. What happened that night after Savannah did not come home? Well, her mom went out looking for her. She says she drove Savannah's normal route. She stopped at places Savannah would normally pass. And she asked if anyone had seen her. Nobody had. So around midnight, she called 911 and reported Savannah missing. This was in the middle of the night shift for officers. And police told us it wasn't totally unusual to get a call of a missing teenager in the middle of the night. 
but they did start to look for her. They were expecting to find her and have the case wrapped up pretty soon. Detective Kevin Smith would be the lead on this investigation, and when he got in the next morning, he was filled in on what had happened overnight. The mother had last seen the juvenile at approximately 7 o'clock the previous night. Uh, whenever the child didn't come home as she normally would, uh, the mother became concerned and had been out looking for the child, so then she had contacted law enforcement in order to report that she was missing. Our officers, you know, whenever the call came in, we, we knew the child. I mean, that's that's one of the good things about working in a small community. Detective Smith said the patrol officers recognized Savannah's name and the description, so they knew exactly who they were looking for. We knew this child. We knew what she looked like. You know, we knew some of the places that she would frequent. And so officers went and checked all of those places and everything without any avail. But they couldn't find her. They searched for hours, literally, from that midnight 911 call until the morning shift came in at 7 in the morning. Savannah was nowhere to be found. Right around that time, Detective Smith got into the office, and the concern level started to rise. Most of the time, you know, they'll, we can usually find them by the time this shift, you know, is over. Uh, this was a little bit different. Had Savannah ever been gone for an entire night before? At this point, were police maybe thinking she'd just run away? Police said they did have teens run away from time to time, but Savannah was not one of them. And her family say they knew immediately that something was different about this. We knew that wasn't it. She wouldn't have done that. She wouldn't have ran off. Savannah had been missing for about eight hours when police decided it was time to call in some help. The lead investigator told us that he knows they're a small department, he knows their resources are limited, so they started calling surrounding cities with more resources to search for missing children. Search and rescue groups came to the town with dogs. Hundreds of volunteers created search parties. They went all throughout the town and within miles of the town. Her face and her name were printed on flyers and put in business windows all over Litchfield and the surrounding areas. Savannah Crawford was everywhere and nowhere all at the same time. What happens next? What does the investigation look like from there? Well, the news of her case expanded out of the small Kentucky town where she lived. People within 100 miles in every direction were well aware that she was missing, and they were trying to help look for her. The lead detective told us they were shocked in the first few weeks at just how many tips they were getting, but they followed up on every single one. Uh, during that time, we received hundreds of leads, uh, hundreds of people who said that they had seen her from as far away as other states. At one point, it did become very overwhelming, the detective told us, and they actually ended up bringing in federal authorities to help them follow leads that were outside of the state. We had uh, one area in western Kentucky, uh, one local business called me at, it was late at night, and said that they had seen her in this business within a few hours before that. Um, you know, just maybe an hour or two before that. And we were able to get in contact with local authorities down there, and we had flyers up all over that area within two hours. While the officers were getting overwhelmed with tips from around the country, they were also getting overwhelmed with new cases right at home. In the weeks after Savannah went missing, other teens from the same high school 
started going missing too. We tried to do everything we could above and beyond on this case. Of course, at the same time, we had several other juveniles that went missing per se. It was causing a lot of panic in the community. When we interviewed police about this case, it was several years after it happened, and detectives admitted they were fairly sure the other missing teens were copycats, kids who had seen how much attention Savannah was getting and then running away. They didn't believe that they had a kidnapper targeting local kids, and they said they didn't think the others were in danger at the time. But we're talking about missing kids, so of course they had to investigate every single case equally, just on the off chance that something really was wrong and the other kids were in some kind of danger too. So in total, how many kids were missing at one time? At one point, three other teens were missing. They were all around the same age of Savannah, and they were all from that same small town. It caused a lot of a lot of issues, you know, with trying to investigate, you know, this case. Of course, because, I mean, we, we have to treat them all equal. I mean, or, you know, we have to treat them all. One can't be any more serious than the other. You got a missing child, you got a missing child. And... I speak for our agency and every agency in this county, uh, including Kentucky State Police. When you've got a missing child, people come out of the woodwork. I mean, those officers are going to beat the street. They're going to do everything they can to find that child. While police detectives worked around the clock to find the now four missing teens, the local prosecutor and the judge got to work on some action of their own. They passed a local ordinance aimed at adults that were helping kids hide from police. Detectives told us they did this because they were fairly certain the three teens reported missing after Savannah were all still in town and that there were adults who knew where they were. So under this new ordinance, if an adult was caught with one of the missing teens, it would be considered a crime. And the adult would have to be cited and charged. They would have to show up in court. The detectives said they were spending a lot of time on these cases when they didn't believe there was any true danger, so they were trying to bring some accountability to the adults. Did that effort work? Were police able to find any of these other missing teens? Actually, yes. All of the other children that had been listed as missing ended up being, they were runaways. The detective told us two of the missing teens were hiding out together at a family member's home, and that family member was older and didn't quite understand what was happening, but she was still charged and brought into court. It sent a message that they weren't going to be lenient, and it worked. We don't have details on the third missing teen, but we do know they were all found safe, so the detectives were able to refocus their attention on Savannah's case completely, and then not long after that, they made a discovery. About 60 days after Savannah Crawford was first reported missing, detectives received a call from a neighboring county. In the scene, you know, it's not, it took us a little bit to get there. It wasn't um, an easy access road by any means. We had to go through someone's property onto their driveway, down the embankment, you know, and it's tall grass, it hadn't been mowed. Um, it, and I just remember it being very hot that day. <laughs> Very hot. Hardin County Deputy Coroner Shana Norton was one of the first to respond to the scene. 
a bridge where a father and son had been fishing and spotted something down below. So um, on that day, there were two gentlemen walking across uh, the No Land Bridge on Highway 84, and they happened to just look over the edge of the bridge and saw skeletal remains. And so they, that's who initiated the 911 call. Um, and at the time, the sheriff's office responded. And once they got there to the scene and realized, you know, what it, that it was actually human remains, then they had called the coroner's office. It was the body of a girl. And at first, um, you know, we knew we didn't have any missing people in Hardin County. So we had to reach out to the surrounding counties to see if they had had missing persons. Um, and actually, when we contacted the uh, Litchfield Police Department, they had a missing female that was a missing from April. About two months after 16-year-old Savannah Crawford was first reported missing, investigators were called out to a scene in a neighboring county. They found a body. Of course, I want to ask about the efforts to identify that body, but first, Shay, tell us about the scene. Madison, we actually made the same journey detectives made. It was about 18 miles away from Litchfield, where Savannah was last seen alive, and it wasn't easy to get to. From Litchfield, we had to take a highway for about 20 minutes before turning off onto a smaller state road, and then the bridge, and the river was right there. The state road was pretty busy, so we had to pull off to be able to get out of the car safely, and then we had to walk through high grass, down an embankment, to get to where the body was found. Going back to the day the body was discovered, when the deputy coroner, Shana, got to the scene and confirmed the person was dead, they started calling around, trying to find out who that person could be. Did they initially think this might have been Savannah? And did they contact the detective on her case? She said they didn't know it was Savannah. They were actually just looking for leads on who it could be. So they actually texted our detective that was on scene with us from the sheriff's office a photo of her. And she actually had on the same type of pants and clothing that our skeletal remains had on. Shayna, the deputy coroner, said the body they found was still dressed and the clothing matched the picture she was given from the detective. We think that picture was from the surveillance video showing the last outfit that Savannah was spotted in. Here's how Shayna described the scene. She was skeletonized, um, completely skeletonized. Um, all of her clothing was still on, um, pants, shoes, socks, shirt, jacket. Um, we did even find uh, some money that was beside the body. I believe it was five or six dollar bill, you know, in dollar bills, single bills. Um, and that's kind of all we found um, around her. No cell phone, um, no wallet, bag, backpack, anything like that. It was just... Um, you know, the clothing that was on her. So the outfit is a match. But Shay, that's not typically enough for investigators to notify family members. They still have to make a formal identification. Was that the case here? Yes, exactly. We're talking about skeletal remains. And this is a bit graphic, but what was left of the body was just bones. Well, at death, um, you know, your body does start to deteriorate, even in the middle of winter. Um, it's still the same process that happens in the middle of summer. Um, whether you're inside or you're outside, um, those do take some factors into it because, 
you're exposed to the direct heat, you're exposed to the elements outside, um, animals, rain, the dew, or the extreme cold, um, but it's still the same. Your body's still going to start to deteriorate um, after death. Normal identifying traits like hair or eye color were no longer accessible. So they used DNA or dental records typically. And in this case, Shana, the coroner, told us they used dental records. Um, so we wanted to make sure to collect teeth that we found to be able to identify her or anything else, you know, that was laying underneath of the body. Um, and then we actually brought, um, at the time, we brought the skeletal remains here to our office here in E-Town. And Dr. Lee, who is our coroner, is a forensic odontologist. So when, the, um, when we thought that we knew who the idea of the person was, the Litchfield Police Department came and brought us her whole missing persons file. And thankfully, they had already gone and gotten her dental records from her dentist. And she had an extensive dental record. She had several fillings, some teeth missing, and Dr. Lee was able to look at those, the x-rays and the charts, and compare to what we had. And he made the identification immediately as to who it was. Pretty soon after the remains were found, Savannah was positively identified. So detectives had two tough jobs ahead of them. They had to find out how she died, but first they had to tell her family. Detective Smith said that was a really difficult conversation. It's, it's always bad to deliver a death notification. When you do it for a child, it's one of the worst things you'll do in law enforcement. We worked so hard, we did. Everything that we knew to do, we asked for outside help. We did everything. I feel like I did everything I could to find this child and for it to end the way it did. Uh, it's just not something you want to accept as a law enforcement officer. Still, their work was far from finished. The missing teen was now dead. Detectives desperately wanted to learn when and how she died. So first, they turned to the coroner's office for clues. Shayna said the investigation was underway from the minute she got to that scene. You know, she's found down in this, you know, a river creek bed with no, nothing else around. So, of course, we automatically think, is it a homicide? You know, did she fall? Was she thrown off, you know, the side of the bridge? Or, um, you know, at this point, it's anything that we can think of. So investigators were not ruling really anything out. Did they learn much from the autopsy? Not as much as they were hoping to. The deputy coroner told us they were first looking for broken bones, which would signify that she had fallen or been pushed off the bridge. She had no broken bones that were visible in x-ray or visible um, by the pathologist. You know, then you're like, okay, so now we take another route. You know, what kind of medical history did she have? And then if she comes up with no diagnosed medical history where she was being seen by a doctor and not on any type of medication, you know, okay, then you're like, all right, so our next step. They also looked for bullet holes or fractures in the skull that could have signified trauma, but they didn't find anything like that. Because she was skeletonized, they had trouble completing any toxicology testing that would have shown if any drugs were in her system when she died. It was dead end after dead end. The coroner told us it's not common, but sometimes this happens. And in this case, because the body decomposed outside in Kentucky heat near the water, many things that might have been clues in the hours after she got there were now gone. We know who she is. 
and we know that she's deceased, but we don't know when she died or how she died. I don't know that we'll ever find an answer to give the families as to why she's deceased unless you have someone that comes to the police and says, yes, I did this to her, this is what I did, and this is how I placed her where you found her. Um, unless that, uh, you'll we'll never know. Detectives didn't know when Savannah died or how she died, but were they able to find out how her body got there? You said her body was found 18 miles from her home. That is a long way to walk. Yeah, a really long way to walk, and especially at night. And this wasn't a back road or even a city road with lighting. The way to get there was on a major highway. So that led police to believe somebody drove her there. But who? Well, they still don't know. That's one piece of the puzzle they think would actually help move this case forward. Somebody knows. Somebody knows how she got from Litchfield, Kentucky, to where she was located in Hardin County. I feel like somebody knows. I mean, I don't know if it was, you know, where she was located was just off the Western Kentucky Parkway. It could have been something as innocent as somebody driving down the road, her hitchhiking, they give her a ride to to that exit. It could be something that simple. Then it could be, you know, somebody could have taken her there. We don't know. But the detective says in the five years since her body was found, that somebody hasn't come forward. In fact, the case hasn't progressed much at all, and it now sits in a case file in his office as an unsolved missing persons case turned death investigation. He says more than any other case, this one really bothers him. He wanted to be able to give the family more answers. He wanted to be able to ease the community's mind, and he wanted to be able to call it a case closed. But he hasn't been able to, and unfortunately, he said he doesn't know if he ever will. Anything other than her coming home safely was not going to be a good outcome for this. It's not something any of us wanted to accept, but unfortunately, that's what we had to. Some people will say, well, they had closure, they found her. No, they didn't have closure. They still lost their baby. They've lost their daughter, their sister, their granddaughter. You know, it's just... And they don't have an answer as as to how or why. As for Savannah's family, they are still determined to find answers. They don't believe Savannah ran away, and they don't think she died alone. Her cousin Ashley told me that's why she called me to investigate the case years ago. She wanted us to find something that detectives hadn't. She said it's not that they don't trust the police and their work. They know the officers are very dedicated to the case. But they are worried, since so many years have passed, that it's no longer a priority. I know know that the police don't have much to go on at all, and I just feel like everybody's just giving up. But I don't want to give up. We need to know what happened. We need to know who done it, so that way they can be prosecuted. But Shay, do police think this is a homicide? No, they don't. They always say they aren't ruling that out, but it's labeled as a death investigation, which means they have no reason to believe there was any foul play. As you know, Madison, police don't typically speculate, at least not on record. Does the detective you spoke with still have hopes of solving this case? Of finally being able to say with certainty what happened to Savannah? He does, but he's also realistic about it. 
He knows unless someone comes forward with new information, it's unlikely they'll be able to move this case to a point of resolution. With that said, he hasn't given up. He said this case stays with him. He thinks about it all the time, and he really wishes the ending would have been different. This is a case that I will live with for the rest of my life. Regardless if we find out exactly what happened or what have you, in your, in your career, there, I've always been told there's going to be one case that defines you. I'm going to have to say this is going to be that case. If you have any information about the death of Savannah Crawford, you can report it to the Litchfield Police Department at 270-259-3850. We need anybody with any information as to the events of that night that she went missing to come forward. And even though you may not think it's something that's worth mentioning, maybe they saw her somewhere or they saw her here or there, I mean, any, any lead we'll listen to, we'll follow up on it. We follow, like I said, we've, we've, I can't even begin to count the number of leads we've had in this case, and I can assure you we've followed up on every one of them. Beyond Bardstown Unsolved is a production of Vault Studios in partnership with King 5 in Seattle, WHAS 11 in Louisville, and ABC 10 in Sacramento. Make sure you don't miss any future episodes by following or subscribing to the show wherever you're listening right now. And to talk about these cases with other listeners, be sure to join our Facebook group, Unsolved Insiders. Beyond Bardstown Unsolved is hosted by me, Shay McAllister, and King 5 anchor and reporter, Madison Wade. Our producer is Reed Redman, and our executive producers are Will Johnson and Brian Weiss. Thanks also to investigative journalist Andrea Ash. Audio mixing is done by Richard Humphreys at Tacoma Media in Silver Spring, Maryland. Maryland.